All right. Well, good morning, McDonough Church family. Man, it is good to be here. It's good to see you guys. Um, I'm glad to be here. I'll tell you, um, it felt a little strange because every time I get ready to preach at McDonough, it feels a little bit like I'm, be, I'm getting ready to preach at another church. And then what happens is I show up here on Sunday morning and park and come in and all that stuff, and then all of a sudden I start seeing people I know. You see, when you preach in a church you don't know, you kind of look around and you're like, man, who are these people, okay? But when you preach in a church, when you're coming home, there's so many familiar faces. And as I come in the building, I'm kind of walking around like, um, like this place is home. I just kind of wander into the music suite, wander into the music offices, just use Matt's bathroom without him, him even knowing I'm there, you know. Get a water out of their fridge, you know, it feels like home. So while I am the Griffin Campus pastor, and we're about 18 miles away, and there's an incredible congregation, and I'll tell you, it is hard not to be with them this morning. Man, I, I love being with my church family, but if there were any other place that I am going to be, I'm glad that I am here with you guys. So, man, I'm excited about what God's been, been doing in the I'm, I'm excited about what God's been doing in, in, in our church family, but also in the McDonough church family. And, and I really just want to brag on uh, the, Griffin, the Griffin church, the Griffin campus, just for a few minutes. Because let me tell you, it's just an incredible group of believers that love the Lord, that love our community, and that want to see God reach our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in a couple weeks, you guys have a Day of Champions, and we have our 10-year celebration of just celebrating of what God's done. So, man, that's going to be excited. And, and while, yeah, Leah, let's, let's, let's applaud for that for sure. Uh, man, God has been faithful. I know he's been faithful to you guys too. And uh, while that may not be the best day for you to come visit us, one of the things I do want to do is just an extend an, an invitation to you to come to the Griffin uh, Church and check it out. So, you know, every single Sunday, the same time you guys meet, uh, we have life groups at 930. We have worship at 11 o'clock, and I would love for you to come check it out. Now, here's what I want us to think about before we kind of dive in. So think about how important and how special the church gathering is. So we've come together. Now, hopefully, you came together in life groups, you came in here, and you were just encouraging one another, lifting each other up. And then not only did we have the opportunity to just personally lift one another up, encourage one another, but we also have the opportunity to worship together, just to praise King Jesus. Man, I love, I, I noticed, did you guys notice just the emphasis through baptism, through worship on King Jesus. He is our King, and he's the one that redeemed us. So we got to worship together. We got to pray together. Man, wasn't that baptism moment just incredible? Just to see people redeemed by the blood of Jesus and want into the family that we call church. And I want to ask you, are you also excited that we get to open up God's word together? Are you ready for that? You see, I think we need, and, and honestly, I, I'm just going to be honest with you, that was pretty weak, okay? I asked if you were ready for it, about half of y'all kind of seem like you are. The other half, I'm not sure if you're already asleep, but maybe you're headed that way. So I'm going to give you another chance in hopes that some of you wake up, okay? Are you guys ready to open up God's Word and study it together? Do, do you, that's a little better. Do you understand the privilege that we have as children of the king that we get to open his word? And when we read this book, y'all can answer, y'all can finish that for me, can't you? When we read this book, what is it? We hear his voice. That's what we're going to do together. So I'm going to invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 
We're going to read the first five verses together. And while you turn there, context is important. So I want to give you a little bit of context on what we're about to read. So you know how every parent has that one problem child, right? And if you don't know which one it was in your family, you're it, okay? Well, Paul goes around and he's planting church after church after church. And he kind of gives us some language through scripture that give us the indication that he saw these churches almost like his children, okay? And just like we all have the problem child, he had a problem child. And it happened to be the church in Corinth. And there was a lot of things there, but in this particular passage, what we see is that there were some specific people that were a part of the gathering in Corinth that just were a little bit arrogant. They were a little cocky. They kind of saw themselves as um, philosophers and Christian thinkers and super Christians, and, and they kind of made some accusations at Paul. So here's the context that I want you to understand. What, what's happening here is they're trying to belittle Paul, and they're trying to gain power for themselves. Really what they want to happen is they want all of the church of Corinth to look at them as like the super Christians and look at Paul of like, man, why do we need this guy? So the, the passage that we're going to read, he kind of he writes all through chapter 9 and then verse 10, excuse me, in chapter 10, verse 1, he begins to address the elephant in the room. That's the context that we're reading in. The reason why that's so important is we need to understand that what he says here is not a command, and I want to be clear about this because context is so important, and um, what he's saying here is not a command that's directed to Christians. So it's not like Paul saying, hey, Christians, you need to do this, okay? But if we listen in, kind of what we have the opportunity to do is listen in to Paul's conversation with these Christians, and, and here's what it does for us. It, it helps us understand the lay of the land. It helps us understand what's going on around us. And because we get to listen into his conversation, we get to apply that truth, not only that he was trying to apply to their lives, but to our lives as well. <laughs> so I've included the, verse, uh, the first two verses. The main thing that we're going to get out, there's a lot you could preach on those, but the main thing we're going to get out of those today is you're just going to see that context. And then once we roll into verse 3, 4, and 5, that's going to be the specific verses that we're going to learn from today. So I want you to read with me 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away, I beg of you that when I'm present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. You, you kind of hear what's happening here. He's beginning to respond to them. And then we get to some powerful verses for us this morning. In for, verse 3 it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not, flesh, are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty, proud opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So before we can apply this, one of the things we need to do is just kind of break down what is it that Paul is telling them, and what is it that we get to listen into. So the first thing I want you to see that he says is this, that there's another realm at play here. 
There's an alternate reality, and I know that kind of shows up in some of our media, in our culture. It shows up with this, this alternate parallel. Well, what Scripture tries to tell us, not just here but throughout, is there's more going on than what our eyes tell us. There's more going on than what we can see. And Paul says that the work he wants to do is spiritual, and it's not physical or fleshly. Listen to this. For though we walk in the flesh, in other words, guess what? Every single one of us woke up this morning, hopefully you took a bath, right? If you didn't, hopefully there's nobody sitting beside you. You see, our flesh stinks. We've got to get in the shower and wash that off. We live in the flesh. We live in this physical world. When we got out of bed, our feet hit the floor. But Scripture says that's not all there is. There's another reality, and that's the spiritual reality, and that's really more important than the physical reality. Here's what Paul doesn't say, and, and I'll tell you. This is almost what they expected him to say. Okay, let's fight like gentlemen. Put your dukes up and let's fight. He doesn't do that. He said, hey, look, I understand that you want to criticize me. I understand you want to have a little fight here, but we're not going to have a physical fight because there's a bigger picture at play. You see, we, we see Paul talk about that again in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, many of you know the verse. It says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What's Paul saying there? The same thing. You, you see, the fight that we have as Christians is not a flesh and blood, but it's a spiritual battle. The second thing he says is this, and man, think about this. <clears throat> this is pretty incredible. Or, or earlier I said, think about it as believers. We get to encourage one another. We get to praise and worship King Jesus. We get to see new believers welcomed into the family of God through believers' baptism. We get to open up God's Word. Man, these are all things that believers share in. Listen to something else he says that believers share in. That he has divine weapons... We need to just kind of put that to the side. Divine weapons, they are made for warfare, and they destroy strongholds. But let me tell you something. Do you think, now, he, he was an apostle of Jesus Christ, but did the apostle Paul have a different Holy Spirit than you have? I, I'm asking, like I'm asking you. Did the apostle Paul have a different Holy Spirit than you have? So let me ask you this. If the Apostle Paul had divine weapons, what does that mean you have? Do, do you see that? <clears throat> the third thing I want you to see is this. He tells us, he gives us a glimpse, an idea of what a stronghold is. And, and the message this morning is entitled, Destroying, Destroying Strongholds. Okay, So it's important to know what they are. In verse 5 he says this. We destroy arguments and every lofty, that means proud, pretentious. I'll tell you the word that I wrote down when I was thinking about that. Like, man, how do you, how do you communicate that in the South? And I came up with highfalutin, okay? <laughs> and I, I'm just going to have to confess, I actually had to look up, like, I, I spelled it out like high and falutin, and my computer said that was wrong. <laughs> so I'm like, how do you spell highfalutin? So I went and figured it out, and you should do that sometime. But anyway, highfalutin opinions raised against the knowledge of God. Now, think about what that's suggesting. That there are some people that are so pretentious 
that they think their ideas, their opinions, their arguments are smarter than God's. You want me to let you in on a little secret? There's some people who feel like their opinions, arguments, and ideas are higher than God's. We can be those people, can't we? We can be those people. You see, in the simplest form, a stronghold is a false belief that causes us to choose our way over God's way. You see, it gives us an idea of what a strong is. I want to read a quote to you. <clears throat> this is a pastor that's talking about strongholds. He says this. You see, some of you came in this morning, and you're like, oh, we're talking about strongholds. That's good, pastor. I can take a nap because I don't have any of those. That's good, pastor, because I don't deal with that. Like, I don't have any of those issues that other people have. Let me just quote to you. You know what a stronghold is? It is a mental block. Paul is talking about pretensions and arguments set up against the knowledge of God. This is a mental battle, and he says, destroy these strongholds. A stronghold can be one of two things. It can be a worldview, such as materialism, hedonism, Darwinism, secularism, relativism, communism, atheism. These are all mental strongholds that people set up against the knowledge of God. You may look at that and go, man, I'm in the clear so far. I don't, I'm not a Darwinist, so I'm all right. A stronghold can also be a personal attitude. Worry can be a stronghold. I'm starting to step on toes now. Because some of you came in here this morning worried about something. And when you leave, you're going to be worried about something else. Seeking the approval of other people can be a stronghold. I'm really stepping on toes now. Because you came in here this morning. Let me ask you this. You don't have to show hands. I don't need you to. How many of you came in here not worried about what anybody else thought? Now, I, I, I'll be honest. I, I, I hope you didn't. Do, do you think when I was thinking about preaching to you guys this, this morning, do you think I had any care in the world about what y'all might think of me? You see, I'm human just like you are. Now, I certainly prayed about that. I said, Lord... Man, man, let me check my heart and check my motives because I want to go and deliver the Word of God in a way that's powerful for your kingdom, not for my glory. But let's be honest, we struggle with those things, don't we? Anything that you make an idol in your life can be a stronghold. You know what an idol is? Something that you think is more important than your relationship with God. Something you think is bringing you more pleasure than your relationship with God, than Jesus Christ himself. Fear, guilt, resentment, insecurity, all of these things can be strongholds in your mind, and the Bible says we are to tear them down. You want to tell you what a stronghold is? It's the way that we justify the sin in our own life. Okay, so here's what I want us to do. We've got to put all of this together. All right, so Paul has told us those three things that I just stepped out, and I want to ask you a couple questions to see if we're together. Okay. Where is the battle raging? I'm going to give you the first part, and then you give me the second one. He says it's where your thoughts are. Where are your thoughts? Yeah, you guys aren't very good at responding. <laughs> I thought like after the second or third time, y'all would pick up. Y'all are slow learners. I'm really kidding. Where are your thoughts? In your mind. What are strongholds that spiritually imprisoned people. We fit in that category, by the way. 
Scripture tells us their arguments and opinions. So, so here's what we learn from Paul. There's a battle raging in your mind for your mind. There's a war being waged for your thoughts. There's a conflict that's taking place for your opinions. And the front line is where? It's in your head. It's in your head. And you want me to tell you what the scariest part of it all is? Some of us in the room, some of you, some of us that know this, have a really hard time believing it. You, you see, we want to buy the ultimate lie that the enemy gives us and that, that this doesn't even exist. You, you don't need to listen to this, Pastor. Man, that's just crazy talk. This isn't the Matrix. This isn't some movie. There's no alternate reality. There's no spiritual realm. There's no warfare taking place. Isn't it easy to walk through life and think that the physical is all there is? Well, I can tell you the way... Donald Barnhouse, in 1965, he wrote a book about it, and he called it The Invisible War, because that's exactly what's taking place. This is a war happening that we don't necessarily see, and it's taking place in your mind, and it's the most important thing, one of the most important things that's happening in your life right now. So John Bloom says, arguments are not merely strongholds, they are weapons of mass destruction. Now, why would he say that? It wasn't too long ago I saw a movie. You know the one. It's one where there's good versus evil. And the evil character, well, he recruits what seems to be some seemingly innocent person to come along his side and do all his dirty work for him. So this person, this character comes alongside and does all of his dirty work for him. And as soon as the, the evil Lord gets what he wants, what does he do to that character? You see, the foreshadowing was obvious. In fact, everybody that was watching knew exactly what was going to take place, except for the character. It was one of those that you could, you could literally scream at the screen. Don't do it! But this character goes along with the evil plot, and as soon as the, the evil Lord gets what he wants, what happens? They're killed. They're wasted. I didn't have to tell you what movie it was, and in fact, some of you may have tried to figure it out, and my guess would be every single one of us could come up with a movie or, or maybe a reality series that, that that described one of the alliances in it. In fact, I would say that's probably part of ha that plot line, that piece of the plot line is a part of at least half of the shows and movies out there. Why? Because it's real and it happens every single day and we don't have to fall, turn far in human history to see it take place. In fact, if you were to open your Bible right now, you can. We're not going to read. I don't have a lot of time to do that. But if you turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 3, what do you see? You'll see that Adam and Eve fell. They turned against God. Why? Because of an argument. You see, what happened is they believed the serpent's argument, the serpent's line of thinking, the serpent's lie, and they stopped believing God. And in doing so, you see, that's the essence of sin, is not believing God. 
And it's deadly because when we don't believe God, it means that we are choosing to ally with the enemy. That's why Ephesians chapter 2 says you were once enemies of God. Darkened in your own mind and understanding. Think about that. You were believing the lies. And in doing so, you became an ally of the enemy. I promise you, you don't want to be an ally of the enemy. He's treacherous, and all he wants to do is destroy us. Listen to Jesus' description of the father of lies. <clears throat> you were of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there was no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So here's what I want us to see. You see, every single one of us has this happening in our life. And, it, it, and when you stand back, it's one of those realities that when you step back, let's suppose you, you could literally have an out-of-body out of experience. You could step out of your life, you could step out of your body, and you could look at what's taking place in your life. And this is what you saw. That sin that you're harboring in your life. What does harbor mean? It means creating safety. That sin that you've carved out space for. That sin that you protect. That sin that you hide. That sin that you lie for and cover up so nobody sees it. Why is it there? Because there's some argument that you've used in your mind, that you've anchored to, that you hold on to, to justify it to saying. Ultimately, that's what's best for me. Somehow we've convinced ourselves that we're right, God is wrong, and in doing so, Satan has become an ally. We've teamed up with him. Let me ask you this. How many of you like it when somebody else harms you? Anybody? How about when they harm your kids or your wife? How about when they harm your family, somebody you care about, your church? We hate that, don't we? I had a revelation one day when I was just thinking about sin in my own life that I cover up, and, and this is literally what I thought. No one, and I literally mean no one, has caused me more harm. No one has attacked my life more than I have caused myself when I allow false beliefs, when I allow false understandings, arguments that are not true, lies, Determine what I do. Here's what I want to know. Do you see this as literally a matter of life and death? Do you remember what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10? It says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. You see, even if you're a believer, I'm not saying that the enemy has access to your soul but he certainly wants to hijack your life so that you don't experience the joy of your salvation and that you're not on mission for Jesus Christ. And when he gets us to believe these false arguments as believers, then all of a sudden, instead of being on the track that God wants us to run on for his namesake and his kingdom and our joy, guess what happens? We're sidetracked that's on a, on a track that ultimately destroys what God wants to do through our lives. 
<clears throat> so here's what I want us to do. I want us to turn to the application side, and I want you to notice verse 5, the last verse. We destroy arguments and every lofty, highfalutin opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. How do we fight strongholds in our life? How do we fight false beliefs, false arguments, false opinions, enemies, I mean, excuse me, lies that the enemy has told us? Well, the Greek word there tells us to conquer, control, and to bring in submission these false beliefs. How do we do that? Because I can tell you this, what I found, Paul talks about it, you remember, I believe it's Romans 7, speaking off the top of my head. The very things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do do. You see, I find my mind doesn't always mind, does it? You see, it's rebellious in nature. It kind of has a mind of its own and wants to do its own thing. So I want us to just look at a few things that help us destroy those. The first one is this. Don't believe everything you think or feel. So I was standing on this stage speaking to Eagles Landing High School, which is my alma mater. I was speaking at their baccalaureate. Not the Christian school that's here, the public school that's off Tunis Road, right off Jodico. And I was talking about students going out, not trusting their heart. And I had a precious person come up to me afterwards, and they said, Hey, Pastor, man, everything was incredible except for one thing. Which, by the way, that was pretty smart of her, wasn't it? You know, everything was great except for one thing. You told these kids not to trust their heart. And, man, that's what they need to do is just... Man, just trust their heart and, and let their heart lead them. And I got the opportunity to share where the Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 and 10, it says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruits of his deeds. You see, really the basis of all secular psychology and counseling is the answers are within you. Now, if you're a believer and you're saying the answers are within me because the Holy Spirit is in me, well, man, you're right on, but that's not what they're saying. What they're saying is I just need to ask enough questions because the answer for this person's life is within them. L let me tell you, there's a way that seems right to a man, and in the end it leads to where? Do you realize that everything you think isn't true just because you thought it? Do you realize that your thoughts are often leading you away from God, not towards Him? You cannot believe everything you think or everything you feel. <clears throat> Listen to this one pastor talk about it. So many different suggestions can come into the mind. The world puts suggestions into our minds that are false, and we are bombarded with those false ideas all the time. And of course, Satan makes suggestions all the time. Here's what I want you to hear. But your problem is much deeper than Satan. You hear that and go, man, I don't. Everybody has a mental illness. Now, some of y'all just checked out. <laughs> ah. Listen to where he goes with it. We are all mentally ill. The mental illness is called sin. You know when Scripture talks about us even coming to know Christ and being victors over sin. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, we live in this earthly tent, and while we're here, we're always bound by it, and we groan to be clothed further. And then praise the Lord that he says, what is mortal, I love Paul's description of death in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, what is mortal may be swallowed up by life, but guess what? There's a reason why you still have to shower, isn't there? Anybody have, anybody, you can stop showering once you became a believer. Anybody out there? Your flesh stops thinking sometime? Is it just me? You see, your flesh still stinks, doesn't it? You, you still deal with that. And guess what? We still have a mind, a physical mind, that still is subject to thoughts and suggestions that are not pleasing and honoring to God and that will wreak havoc in your life. You got to keep moving. I also want to talk about your emotions. Let me tell you what, so you, you know what? You, you know, let me ask you this. So, so if my hand, all of a sudden I start feeling pressure, okay? Actually, this happened to me. Um, I was cooking not too long ago and um, I had put a pan, uh, like a banking pan, on the stove, okay? And I had forgotten that I had turned the eye on so that it would start warming up for something else I was going to cook. I was going to put something on the pan and put it in the oven. And I noticed that the bake, and this is, this is how stupid our mind is, by the way, okay? Perfect example. Y'all are going to look at me and go, man, he is so stupid, okay? What I will tell you is you've done the same thing, I promise you, okay? Maybe not this exact scenario, so the pan starts like rising up. It's like, you know, like, is that concaved or convexed? Either way. And I thought I was going to, I'm like, man, why is it doing that? That's, that's weird. So I decided to take my finger, this one right here, and just press it down. <laughs> that eye underneath was red hot. And that metal pan had absorbed a lot of that heat. And let me tell you, I, I, I literally burned the whole face of my finger off. It was terrible. It took like three weeks for it to go away. Thankfully, it's not there anymore. But you want to tell you the good news? God gave me all these incredible nerve endings. That the, I mean, it was on there for a, I'm talking about a split. I mean, you guys know how quick my reactions are, right? Man, I'm fast. So as soon as I put that on, man, I was off that quick. Coach would be proud of me. <clears throat> lightning skills. <clears throat> Just like I have physical nerves that give me some indication of what's taking place on my body. You want to tell what your emotions can do? Your emotions are somewhat like nerves that can give you some indication of what arguments you're currently believing. Do you understand that? Like your emotions are your emotions are tied to thoughts. Your emotions are tied to what's been going through your head. Your emotions are tied to what you're believing. <clears throat> so one psychologist believes there's 34,000 unique emotions, but he sums them down to eight primary emotions. Anger, fear, sadness, joy, disgust, surprise, trust, and anticipation. I'm not saying those are the eight primary emotions. <clears throat> Listen to John Bloom. Watch your emotions. They are signals of arguments. Your emotions, which can land on you like vague impressions or moods, are usually responses to an argument, to something you're believing. 
Moods don't come out of nowhere. We are angry, discouraged, depressed, anxious, self-pitying, fearful, or irritable. It's likely because we are believing something very specific. And Paul's word teaches us that we've got to submit all of our thoughts that are leading to the... You're angry? Let me ask you this. You ever been angry at somebody close to you? A child, a spouse, a parent? If you were to really drive down into what's causing that emotion, it's a thought. And guess what? That emotion that's driving your anger, probably at least 50%, more than likely 90% of the time, is a lie. I mean, you're angry at somebody you love, and it's over a lie. Do you see how important this is? Because, man, you can wake up one day and be absolutely miserable. But when you really start figuring out what's going on in your life, it's you believed a lot of false lies that the enemy wants you to believe, and he wants to use it to wreck your relationship with somebody. Do, do you see this coming together? <clears throat> Paul's word teaches us to submit all of our thoughts to the scrutiny of God's word. Because the only way we'll destroy the enemy's false arguments is when we replace them with true ones. When we say, you're telling me this, but this is actually true. You're saying this is true, but this is what God's word says is true. I want us to move on real quick. So guard your mind. Second thing is guard your mind. And I like to add to that, guard your mind from garbage. So um, computer people in the room, help me out. Is it Gigo? 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 Who said that? Okay. Someone I can trust. So what does it mean? Thank you. Garbage in, garbage out. You see, that was a computer term, but it's also true of our, our lives and our minds particularly. So I gave you, uh, and I don't know if it's on the screen or not, but I gave you the ESV version of this, and I want you to have that. I did it intentionally, but I want to read the NLT. Now, I wouldn't necessarily recommend the NLT on a regular basis, but it helps us in this one particular place. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 14 says, A wise person is hungry for knowledge, while the fool feeds on trash. A wise person is hungry for knowledge while the fool feeds on trash. This is what the ESV says. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feed on folly. Man, I love the way God gives us physical pictures to teach us spiritual things. There's a couple different types of food. There's healthy food. Some, even people, some people even call it, like, what is the smart popcorn called, by the way? Help me, somebody help me. Is it smart pop? Y'all are still not responding very well. There's Skinny Girl. There's, isn't the one called like Smart Pop or Smart Something? I'm not suggesting it's smart food, but, you know, there's Smart Water. But we know there's some things that you can put in your body, and what comes out? Health. And there's other things that we can put in our body, junk food, and what comes out? It's just empty calories, and it's certainly doing more harm than good. And then there's those toxic things which are poisonous for us, and it can do extreme harm and even kill us. Why do you think it's any different for our thinking? Why do you think it's any different 
far thinking. Now, let me connect the dots for you here. And this is, this is like, when you get this, everything you see and hear is programming your brain. Do, do you get that? I mean, it's simple cause and effect. Let's connect the dots. Everything you see and hear is programming, and that programming ultimately determines what you think, believe, and do. And I want to ask an important question for us all. Why do we always think we're the exception? Are you not guilty of that? It's almost like the mentality of, well, an alcoholic shouldn't go into a bar, but it's cool for me to. And this isn't about alcohol. You, you get the point. The point is, oh, I see how that would be bad for someone else, but man, I'm, I'm good. Let's connect it up. Man, I'm not trying to move towards legalism here. I'm trying to talk about wisdom. You see, there's healthy food, there's junk food, and then there's toxic food. And somehow we think we're the exception that we can just consume all the junk food and toxic food and be good. Listen to me. Everything you see and hear is programming that ultimately determines what you think, believe, and then ultimately, guess where your, where, guess where your actions come from? Your beliefs? Do you, this is how we think we're the exception. I can put all of that stuff in my brain, but it's never going to cause me to act on it. Y'all thought I was a stupid one for touching the pan. You get my point? Why do we feel that? Because it's not true. I've <clears throat> got to do this quickly, but I, I do want to give it to you. So Philippians chapter 6, verse, excuse me, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, gives us two ways to overcome the garbage in our world. The first one is this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, worry about nothing, pray about everything. Conversational prayer with the Lord. I mean, you're consistently checking in with God. I promise you, he's not telling you any lies. Okay, the second one goes right after this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You see, it's about focusing our thoughts, not consuming the garbage. Last two things I wanted to get you, give you. <clears throat> Three is seek the truth. You want me to tell you what's so great about this point? It, it, it's awesome. And I think we've overlooked how awesome it is. Seek the truth. You, you see, you, you could be tempted to look at that and go, man, but that seems so confusing. That seems so complicated. Where? How? What do we do? It's actually super simple, isn't it? You see, there's only one place. We don't, this doesn't need to be a long point. This could be really short. Seek the truth. There's only one place to find it, and it's in God's Word. That's it. You see, you don't need to go take a class that says, where do I find truth? It, I can tell you right now, super simple. Seek the truth. It's in God's Word every time. 
Psalm chapter 19, verse 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect. Pastor Tim, by the way, had our staff memorize this. I know our staff's like, oh, I remember that. Uh, what staff? Who's staff in here remembers that? I guarantee there's Mark Grace. I know there was staff raising their hands. And I'll be honest with you. When, I, when we were memorizing some of this, not me, but some of our staff didn't love to have to memorize all these because we would literally like staff meetings. All right, we had cards, we'd carry them around, and then we'd have to quote them to each other. That was fun. But I can tell you this. I'm glad he made me memorize this. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The command of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And the psalmist says in verse 10, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant warned, and keeping them, there is great reward. I cannot tell you how many times God has brought that to my mind to help me remember where the truth is and where to find something to put in your brain that builds you up. The last thing I want to show you is ask the Holy Spirit to work. Ask the Holy Spirit to work. <clears throat> Notice here, what does Paul say? For the weapons of our warfare are not flesh, not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy arguments. I'm going to read this to you quickly. The weapons of our warfare are not flesh, but have divine power. In other words, he's tearing down arguments and God-belittling ideas. But he is not doing it merely by argument. So when I come to the Bible, there's a lot of studying that I do. I love studying I love to assess arguments and figure them out, but I should also be crying out, Oh God, I know that mere intellect will not dismantle deeply rooted errors of my mind, so I avail myself. I open myself to the Holy Spirit, and I seek your face. Expose yourself. Lay yourself open before the risen Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, through the words of the Apostle Paul, so that everything can be dismantled. Then your brain, your mind, and your thoughts can be taken captive and everything can be brought into conformity of Christ. And you see, it's really, you know, one of the things our culture values tremendously these days is a genuineness and an authenticity. But it's really hard to have a pure heart when we have a polluted mind, isn't it? It's really hard to chase after God when our brain's been filled with the world. As we close this morning, I want to remind everyone here, and if you're here for the first time, or maybe you've been curious about what a relationship with Jesus Christ looks like, all of this begins by the simple confession that was made right here in this baptismal. These are the question that was asked. Who do you profess is your God and King? Who do you profess as your saving king? Who do you profess as your Lord and Savior? Man, every single one of them answered. Jesus Christ. Have you come to a place in your life? And you've seen that demonstrated for you right here by six people who discovered the truth of salvation. 
It's only by one name we are saved, and that name is Jesus Christ. Have you surrendered your life to him? So I'm going to ask that everybody bow their heads and close their eyes. And if you haven't, here's the opportunity. Surrender your life to King Jesus. Trust in him and him alone. Find salvation. Find rest in Jesus. Find forgiveness for your sin. Find the way to life everlasting. And you can do it right from your seat right now. Just telling Jesus that. You know that sin causes death and separation from him. He came to earth to die on the cross to pay our ransom and win us from sin. He paid our price for us. He lived the life we couldn't live and died the death that we deserve to die so that we could have life. And you can accept that new life in Him right now.